Welcome to the Biblical Languages Podcast, brought to you by Biblingo. We bring together the latest research in linguistics, language acquisition, and biblical studies to better understand the biblical languages and ultimately the biblical text. As always, this episode is brought to you by Biblingo, the premier solution for learning, maintaining, and enjoying the biblical languages. Visit biblingo.org to learn more and start your 10-day free trial. Hey everyone, this is Nick Mesmer, one of the co-hosts of the podcast. In this episode, Kevin Grosso interviews Matthew Thomas about his experience reading through the Septuagint in a year. This conversation inspired us to not only do this ourselves, but to help others do it as well. So we're hosting some Greek and Hebrew reading groups for 2023. For Hebrew, we'll be reading through the entire Hebrew Bible. And for Greek, we'll be reading through the whole Greek New Testament and the whole Septuagint. The process is simple. Everyone will do the readings independently, and we'll have discussion on our online community forum. We'll also have a Zoom call once per month for additional discussion. These groups are totally free and anyone is welcome to join. Just go to community.biblingo.org and join our community forum. We'll be sharing more information there very soon. I am Kevin Grosso, your host for this episode, and I'm excited to talk with Dr. Matthew Thomas today about reading through the Septuagint in a year. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. So Matthew J. Thomas is Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies and Theology Department Chair at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, California, and an instructor in theology with Regent College, Vancouver. He received a DPhil in Theology, New Testament and Patristics from the University of Oxford. He's the author of Paul's Works of the Law in the Perspective of Second Century Reception, which received the Jesus Creed Book of the Year Award in 2018. His research areas include Pauline theology, patristics, particularly the anti-Nicene period, and early Christian interpretation of scripture. Matthew and his wife, Leanne, live in California with their four children, Camille, Raphael, Michael, and Agnes. So so you read through the Septuagint in a year, or you've almost read through the Septuagint in a year, right? This past year? That's correct. Yeah. So I guess we're, uh, we have a little bit of December left. Um, but yeah, that's, that's right. right. So just to begin with, what is the Septuagint? I know obviously like there's a, an, an easy way to answer that and a hard way to answer that. <laughs> um, but, but what is the Septuagint and why is it important? Yeah. So the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, which you see made a couple of hundred years before Christ's advent and which seems to be the text that is used uh, most often in the New Testament writings when they're making reference back to the Old Testament, which is to say um, most of the time that uh, a New Testament author is quoting an Old Testament source, um, it seems most of the time that they're making reference back to the Septuagint uh, rather than to uh, what we have been later preserved for us in the Hebrew or Masoretic tradition. Um, now, it doesn't mean that they're always necessarily different. They are actually usually usually the same, um, but uh, it seems as though the, for, you know, for the majority of, you know, the, the apostles and for those who, who are reading them, 
um, the Septuagint functionally was the the Old Testament for them. Yeah, so so that's uh, obviously one reason why it's it's very important. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's basically the Bible that they are quoting from. Um, so given that they're just quoting snippets of it, what do you think the advantage is of actually like reading through it or, you know, should we actually do that? You know, so you're, you're yeah. on this journey to read through the whole thing, right? Um, why not just take yeah. random parts of it? <laughs> take random parts. It's good. Which is oh, honestly yeah, what scholars normally do, right? Like, you don't, most people don't just read through the Septuagint, right? I mean, it's, yeah. they study this part and say, oh, this is useful to me or this is not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you have, you know, it's the old dictum that, you know, a text without a context is uh, a pretext for anything that you want it to be. Um, that that can definitely be true with the Septuagint as well. It's also just easy to make, um, to make comments that are, um, you know, that are just based in ignorance uh, and that are pretty easily, you know, showed up as being based, based in ignorance, which I think is unfortunate for any, you know, everybody, nobody really, really benefits, uh, you know, from, from that. Um, you know, for me, the, the idea first came, gosh, this is a long time ago. This is um, 2013 when I was, uh, had just started the, the, the PhD program uh, in Oxford. And there was, um, Marcus Blackmail had arranged for N.T. Wright to come down and do like an evening thing with the, uh, the New Testament students. And one of the things that he said, as far as it, he gave a talk, it was like, you know, things that I, you know, I, I wish I knew as a, as a young New Testament scholar. One of the things that he, he gave as a recommendation was to read through the entire Septuagint as early in your, your career as you can. So to actually read, read through the entire Greek of it. And I remember thinking like how cool that sounded because the times that I'd, I'd read the Septuagint, it was, um, it was great. And, and just, you know, conceptually, because for the early church. So if you asked one of the apostles, you know, um, you know, when you say scripture, what do you mean? You know, they would probably mean something, you know, like, like this, they mean the old, the old Testament. They're not referring to their, their own writings. They're referring to their, you know, to the old Testament and the old Testament for them, you know, most commonly in that period uh, was access within, within this, this Greek translation. So I, I knew in my head that, um, you know, for the apostles, you know, for the, you know, for the early, early church fathers who, you know, before you have an established and set New Testament canon, when they say scripture, this is what they mean. And they explicitly refer to the Septuagint translation as being something that was commended and handed down by the apostles. And which, you know, if you think of the power of early Christianity, they're always referring back to this text and how it is that Christ, you know, speaks to them through, through this text. And so I, I kind of had, you know, I had all of those things um, you know, hypothetically, as far as like, that's a really, you know, a great thing to do. Uh, the question is, when do you actually get around to doing something uh, like that? Because of course, you know, a, a one year uh, Bible plan is, um, is already like decently ambitious. And then a one year Bible plan, um, you know, in any other languages, like it's a little bit more, more ambitious. And so I, I think I got to a point in reading the text, there was enough books that I read through um in that like you know in previous years i've read through joshua by itself i've read through leviticus by itself and the stuff that i was getting out of reading these texts uh i think theologically uh the things that were brought to light the points of contact that i saw with the new testament 
Um, and then just the sheer enjoyment of reading the text. I think those things were such that um, I, I was thinking, I, I've got to, I've got to follow, um, I got to follow rights advice. I got to actually, actually do this. And so this is an idea that, you know, uh, came to mind uh, a little, little over a year, year ago to just basically follow a one-year Bible, uh, Bible plan, but to do it in, in Greek instead of English. And so, so we've been doing the, the Greek, you know, New Testament along, along with us, along with the various old, old Testament readings. And um, it's, and honestly, it's, it's been so much fun that I'm, I'm doing the same thing again next year. So this is part of the, part of the fun thing as well. So if anybody is, uh, you know, wants to, uh, to, to come along next year, it's just been, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's been so, it's been so rewarding. There's just so, there's just so much riches that's there. And so many things that jump off the page when you're reading, um, you know, when you're reading in this early translation, which was so influential within early Christianity, uh, that you, there, you just can't, you can't process it all one, one time through. I think you need to, you, you know, you need to go do it again. I can, if I use an analogy, this is what I've, I've been thinking about this, um, you know, all, all year it's, um, uh, have you seen Forrest Gump before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you think of like Forrest Gump, he just kind of, he just, he just feels like running. And so he just starts running and he just runs and runs and runs. And he ends up running the whole way, you know, across the country, just sort of coast, coast to dope coast. He just, he just feels like doing it and he does it. Um, it's, it's a little bit like that, but then um, it, it's almost like, you know, trying to, trying to talk about it, um, you know, at the end, when you get to the coast, it's sort of like somebody going in, you know, coming to you and saying, Hey, so, so what'd you see on your run? It's like, Oh my, like, how would you even begin to answer that? Cause you got 365 days of seeing stuff all, all the time. And, um, and almost to like, you know, appreciate and to like, I, I feel, I feel like, uh, it, you know, to process everything you saw, you know, for me, I'm just like, I want to, I want to do it again. So that's part of the inspiration for, for doing it, doing it again next, next year. Well, you know, I, I, I highly doubt that, um, you know, first century Jews who are reading it would only read it through it one time. So there, <laughs> right? You, you, yeah, you'd absolutely. Be a good company. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, so how are you doing it? Are, are you are you doing it like with a group? And are you meeting, talking about it? Or are you just like holding each other accountable? Or are you, are you just doing it by yourself? Or yeah. So, um, this originally started. Uh, it was myself and uh, and Jim Prothro who was doing um, uh, a New Testament. Uh, PhD in Cambridge when I was over at Oxford, and he's just an amazing guy. And uh, so, anyway, he's a he's a good, good friend of mine. And so we, um, I I approached him about doing this, and so he he got on board. And there's a few other people that got got on with with this as well, uh, due to just some circumstances that he had. He was doing this for a while, then had you know had had to sort of get off the, um, you know the the, the Septuagint train. And then there was some other folks. We had like a Facebook group for a while, but then. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, when you're, when you're, when you spend this time reading scripture today, I just realized I, I just don't have time for social media if I'm actually going to do all of the, you know, the, the bowery reading is there. And so for a while there was a, uh, there's a Facebook, uh, you know, group that was there, which still exists, um, which is, you know, just kind of sharing, you know, insights and cool stuff that was there. And I was put, putting up things. And then, um, and then I just eventually got to a point where I just stopped using Facebook altogether. <laughs> so, um, and so I'll still, I mean, go on occasion and go, go back there. But, um, so I actually, it's possible that there's other folks who are, um, who are in this group who have, you know, who have, who have kind of continued on. We sort of reached out, you know, open invite to anybody who, who wanted to, wanted to do it. And it's possible that there's other folks that are, um, uh, that are still, still going, going along with it. But, um, 
I um I don't <laughs> you severed all act. context with everyone. <laughs> it is there, <laughs> to finish you know, it's it. interesting. There's um there's a I'm not gonna say it, it's uh you're adopting the monastic life when you do this, but um you do have to disconnect a little bit in order to be able to make it through something like this. Uh there's 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 I don't think there's any way around it. Um I think you have to you have to give up some and kind of retreat in a sense, you know, in, into the word to be able to, to make it through something like this. Um, and I actually think that that's, I think that's really cool. And I found that to be really valuable. And I think that um, in doing that, uh, you, I think you tend to find that you have a lot more to give when you do, you know, when you do come back, you know, back out into the world, than if you just sort of, um, yeah, just just you know, caught up in um, all of the uh, all of the scrolling of the universe and stuff like that. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, it's it is following um, a, a one year uh, Bible reading plan. You know, I think I sent it to you. I yeah. can't even remember. I can't even remember what what it's what it's called. To be honest, I think it was something that somebody had shared with me uh, before, and it's uh, it's great. And that it is that it there? Yeah, yeah I, I printed it out. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. So what, what's great is that you have you have an Old Testament reading, you have a New Testament reading, and then you have a wisdom reading. And the wisdom reading, you really, you know, I've I've, I've done kind of uh, like kind of quick Bible things before. So uh, a couple of years ago, we did a, like a Bible in a month thing, which was which was a, it was a wild ride. Um, and I actually found the the books that um, that we. I guess had the least justice to them were books like the Psalms. When you're going through the Psalms quickly or when you're going through the Proverbs really quickly, uh, you're not meant to go through those kind of one after the other, after the other really fast. You're meant to I think, take them one at a time and sit and sit with them. And that's the great thing. Whoever designed this, um, this one year Bible plan is you get Old Testament reading, New Testament reading. Um, and then you get like a, you know, a wisdom uh, re- reading. And so, it, you know, it's a Psalm, it's, uh, you know, a part of, part of Proverbs, um, and you, you go, go, go through those and it actually really balances things well. So that, um, you know, all, all through those do, do different things and affect you in uh, different ways. But, um, I think that the, the way that it's structured, it allows for, I, I think to appreciate, uh, parts of the, of the text, um, in a, in a way that if you're just flying through, you can't necessarily get in the same, same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's funny that you uh, started it with uh, Jim Prothero as well. I I emailed or I interviewed him. Um, I don't know a couple months ago on his righteousness work. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, Jim Jim's amazing. I was with him in uh, in Denver. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, just for 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 SBL, and uh, I just I just love the heck out of that guy. He's a yeah. fantastic guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. So uh, let me, let me ask you this. So obviously you said you have to you know cut stuff out. Um, and I, I think really what you would have to cut out is partly dependent upon how good you are at Greek, right? How quickly you can read through the text. So how, yeah. how I mean, how comfortable were you at just reading through large swaths of Greek text before you, before you started this and, and how comfortable are you now having yeah. gone all yeah. through? Um, good question. So, um, this is probably a good time where we could advertise uh, the, uh, the, the Diblingo, um, <laughs> uh, materials as far as helping, helping, you know, one to get to the point, uh, where you can take, take on something like this. Um, 
You know, it's it's interesting. I would say if you just to you know quick quick answer how like how long does reading the, this you know a day take you? I would say if you give it like an hour a day, I think that's you're you're probably going to be in good in good shape. Um, and then if you fall behind a little bit, you might need to have a day or two that you can kind of devote to just just doing this, which is you know that's that's the way life works sometimes. Um, my my own Greek level was pretty good coming into this, so it's something that I've you know I've been, I've been working on for um, you know uh, a little over a little over ten years, um, and so as far as you know reading the New Testament and then reading the early church fathers. Um, I have a pretty, a pretty good context you know, already for this. Um, I don't think that somebody necessarily needs to have that, that much to be able to, to get, get into this. Um, because the thing is, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, the questions asked, like, Hey, what's, what's easier, you know, the Septuagint Greek or the New Testament Greek. Um, and I, you know, the answer is usually, you know, Septuagint Greek is harder um and you know the new testament's easier and while that's true with respect to some books if you're going to say you know john or mark or something like that um the septuagint actually isn't particularly hard to read in most instances the difference tends to be that we're more familiar with the new testament than we are with the old testament so you're going through leviticus and you're like okay well there's not that many different words being used here i just don't know what any of them are because i don't know what any (laughs) of these things happen to happen to be um so it's, it's actually not, you know, it's not that difficult you, when you get going through, through Genesis. Genesis is a great warm-up. Um, I don't think it's a particularly hard, hard book to read. And I don't think that you need to necessarily have more than, you know, a, a couple years proficiency, you know, in, in Greek to be able to, or even if you had, you know, first year Greek and had done a good amount of independent reading and pretty familiar with the New Testament, um, you know, I think you'd be in, in good shape to give something like this, you know, a shot. And um, there's stuff that would take more time, um, definitely. Um, but um, it's not, you know, this is uh, the, the whole point of the Septuagint is just, it's it's common language. Um, they didn't go and take, you know, take take this um, to, you know, to make the text more obscure. The whole reason the Septuagint exists um, is to make it more accessible to people, to make it more more common, and um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a literary quality to it, because you know it does. And um, and there's definitely books, you know, like you have with the New Testament. Um, you know, there's there's a pretty wide variety of of language within the Septuagint, so that from a literary standpoint, you know, some of these books, even I was going through, just like I don't know what's going on here. Like this is just, it's just all, it's just all over the place. It, you're looking up literally every other, other word and, uh, and you'll just get every other word will be like, that goes up, you know, once in the Septuagint. It's like, great. Thanks a lot. Um, but uh, you know, it's, um, it's something where you don't necessarily, uh, need to have some sort of mastery of Greek to be able to get started with, with something like this, which I think is, is encouraging. Yeah, well, and I think even even if you, you know, even if it would be too much, if you couldn't read fast enough, you know, I mean, I think like shooting for it and then will will at least allow you to read a lot, <laughs> you know, even if you don't finish all of it in a year. I mean, I think, yeah. you know, obviously, the more you read, the better you're going to get. Um, so, so how, I mean, do you feel like now you can read better? I mean, are in, in Greek, like after having done it for a year, I mean, do you feel like a noticeable difference in that or? 
Oh yeah. E- even yeah. just in like how quickly you can read or, or comprehension. Yeah, there's a, there's actually a pretty huge difference, which is which is fun, um, and which is then easy to go and to apply to you know other kinds of you know Greek texts as well. You just being able to pick something up and, and read it. Um, but I mean, really, the, the the most fun thing is just being able to you know read the biblical text more quickly, more easily. Uh, you just you you know you, you pick it up, and um, there's not a whole lot of pausing or kind of hesitation or having to see. And you'll notice if there's some sort of you know abnormality in the text, um, you 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 pick it up immediately and think, okay, there's something weird going on here. What this? I wonder what this what this is. So um, one of the things that you have to balance in doing something like this is trying to uh, get make a balance of how um like how often you're going to look up words because if every time that you stop and pause on a word if you went to go look it up um you would be very slow uh, you probably wouldn't make it through and it's the same way with english actually it's like most of us you know when we're learning how to read we come across a word that we're not familiar with we tend to not just sort of pull out like a dictionary and like, you know, open up. See, we, we tend to try to use whatever context clues we can um, to figure out what's going on. And we tend, I think, usually to actually remember it better that way. when We figured it out by, by intuition, what's going on. And, uh, and so you end up doing a decent amount of, of that um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're doing this. And I've, there's definitely been instances where it's like, I should look up this word. I should see what's going on. And those could be really valuable too, because then you, I mean, you start looking at a word, you see, oh, that's the same word that's used here, or that's the, I and mean, this is where it gets really fun. There's all kinds of weird words in the in the Old Testament where you'll see, like, what is that? And you'll see, wait a second, that's the same word that gets used in the New Testament here. And then you see the New Testament context, and you're like, wait a second, this is totally an illusion back, in, you know, between there. The New Testament author has has picked this word. In order to draw your attention to this other instant, uh, yeah, you know, incident in, in, in the, uh, the Old Testament, and um, those are those are fantastic, and they're so so fun. One of the richest things that has has come out of doing this, but you almost have to, you know, I mean, you have a lot of kids, you know, I have a lot of kids. Well, you have to be careful how how much you let yourself do those things, uh, because it's really easy to fall behind and just sort of get, you know, spend forever. Um, you know, looking up words and seeing all the all the connections and stuff. So if you're actually going to, you know, make it make it through the text, uh, you have to have, you know, uh, it's like okay, I'm going to give myself like five words. I'll allow myself to you know, to look up this time or whatever happens to be. Yeah, it, it is, and it's it's a different way to read, you know. And I think a lot of people they normally read, you know, these texts very very closely, which is fine, you know. Uh, but they, I mean, myself included, I. I'll often, especially I'll get distracted with grammar points. You know, I'll, I'll be reading something. I'll say, oh, that's a very interesting use of, uh, you know, the heiress here. Like, I, I need to go yeah. write this down and, and figure out why it's being used this way. And then, you know, I spend the, the next 10 minutes, you know, thinking about this particular function of the heiress instead of reading, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but there's something. So, I mean, I think there, that does have benefit, but there's also, you know, benefits to just reading. You know, like, because in, in some ways, I mean, it's just, it, we just don't do that in, in English when we normally like sit down and read a book. We're not like, oh, wow, that's such an interesting use of the passive participle. Let me go like, right. You know, I, I mean, some people do. I, I, I actually would do that kind of thing, um, but I'm not the, the ordinary human. But like that, that is when you, when you're reading to read, you know, you, you, 
you do, like you said, you know, you don't, you're not looking words up. If, even if you don't know them, you know, you're just, you're just plowing through and cause you're trying yeah. to get this sort of like picture, you know, like grand picture, not like every single word. Right. Um, and we're, yeah. we're often obsessed with every single word. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, and it's, and it's interesting. I mean, just to maybe to yeah. follow up on that point, cause I think there's something that's, that's really uh, valuable. You said there, um, we, when we read, we're trying to get, we're trying to get the big picture. And the more that you see that, um, the more you tend to enjoy a work. And so if you think of, if you've tried to read a book before, but you've read it in like fits and starts where like I read a chapter or I read a small thing. And then, you know, I got lost in my bed for, you know, a couple of weeks and I picked it up and I read another chapter and then something else is going on. And then a week later, I read the, you know, another chapter in general, you tend to enjoy those books less. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I think of like the books that I enjoyed, you know, the most, they tend to be things where I was like, I got this book and I started reading it at like eight o'clock at night. And then I finished it at three o'clock in the morning because <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't put it down. And you remember all kinds of stuff and it's, and it's fantastic. What's, um, what's cool is that, um, there is definitely books in reading it this, this way where you're reading it at a pretty good speed. Um, there's definitely books that where I feel like I just, from a standpoint of pure enjoyment, um, I, I enjoyed them going at a good, good pace like this, uh, and going through them in their entirety, um, way more than I had in any other period. So Leviticus was one this, this time around, um, you know, I read, I read pretty quickly and I'd read the, you know, the Greek of Leviticus before, but I just really enjoyed it. I just felt like it almost, it's in a funny way. It, it feels like it's just like an advanced civilization, uh, which isn't the way that you would like, um, you know, people normally think about it like Leviticus, but there's just, there's such like, I don't know, such a brilliancy to the way the whole thing works. I'd like to do like a thought experiment thinking like, you know, if Leviticus was something that, you know, like, you know, American, you know, Native American, American Indians had uh, as part of like their own kind of like cultural heritage. I mean, we would talk about Leviticus, like the greatest thing in the universe and like every, you know, every, uh, you know, whatever kind of, you know, Native American studies department and every state state school, you'd, you'd all be reading Leviticus and be like, this is the greatest thing that you've ever seen. And it would be true because it's awesome. There's there's so much valuable stuff there. Um, the other one I really had this with us this time was was Second Chronicles, mm-hmm. and um, we we've been doing some, some some traveling, and so I was I was behind, and so I had a free day, and I'm like I really need to make it through Second Chronicles in a day, and so I read through Second Chronicles um, in a, in a day, and Second Chronicles is not normally on people's kind of like top 10 list necessarily <laughs> as far as like their favorite, favorite, uh, you know, biblical, but it's, you know, it's long and it's kind of stuff you heard before. I mean, I just say Chronicles in a day and I was just like, this is amazing. It's so fun. And there's so much cool stuff there. And from a literary standpoint, you know, and reading it and just in one, you know, kind of one day like that, I was really able to see how the whole thing fit together and how the themes of second Chronicles kind of held together throughout in a way that, you know, just taking disconnected little sections before um, it, ne- it never really fit fit together, and so um, that's one of the great things to you know to reading in this 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 kind of way is it, it really can help you to appreciate um, you know these texts more from a literary standpoint in some ways because you're reading them the way that we read books. Um, sometimes right. we sometimes we read you know you know scripture in a way it's totally different from the way that we just read other books, and and it's possible. And so doing um, to actually lose some of the, some of the enjoyment, some of the insight that we might, you know, just normally get if we're, 
just pick it up, pick it up and read it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there actually is research on, um, you know, the connection between reading speed and reading comprehension, showing that, you know, I mean, obviously to a point, but the faster you can read, the better you can comprehend because yeah. you're you basically, we can only fit so many things in our brain at one time. So like if you're stopping every other word to look up a word or whatever, then you're just not going to remember like at a discourse level or like a book level, what's going on, you know, but yeah. if you sit down and read the whole thing very quickly, you, you still remember what happened in yeah. chapter three when you get to chapter 20. And so if there is an illusion, you say, Oh, I just read that, you know, like, but, but you often, I mean, we often miss that because we just don't, we just don't read the scriptures then that way, especially scriptures in the original languages, because yeah. we, either, you know, don't read fast enough to get there, or we just, you know, look up a Greek or Hebrew word here and there. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really great. And it's, I mean, it, it would be interesting too, to see if you uh, did that with other books, if you, you know, if it was special, if it was second chronicles that you really liked, or you really liked reading through a book in a day, you know? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, at the very least, you know, what I'm grateful for is, you know, something like second chronicles, which is always like, you know, it's there, you know, that it's there for a reason, but you don't necessarily, when you're reading through it, um, you know, you're not thinking like, oh man, I've been waiting, went for months. The second <laughs> to chronicles today's, today is the day. Uh, and having this day where it's like the second chronicles being like, oh, this is awesome. Like, um yeah that i just yeah it was a really a really cool cool gift to um you know be able to be able to experience that because then you know in some ways it it helps to put you in touch you know with earlier christians who you know accepted and understood these books as you know as inspired uh it's like well why do you why do you you know for me you know previously reading second chronicles you know you take it on faith that you know there's something that's really valuable here and you see little things here and there um but in this way, doing it this way, it's like, oh wow, this is awesome. This is like, you know, you, you just have have a, have a sense of, um, you know, why you have such a high value place on this on this text. And so, um, I, I, you know, that's 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 really cool in, in a way to have our own our our, our eyes opened to um, parts of our own heritage that we might not necessarily be as connected with, um, you know, other, otherwise. So, how, how has it been? for you reading through the um the like apocryphal books you know i mean have those been you know I mean, just what's been your experience more interesting you know yeah. obviously there's probably some like depending on how many times you've read through it like less familiarity with those so it might be like harder i mean what yeah what are the yeah. so um you know so it's actually i can't i have to like almost say in relation to each each book um, you know, Tobit, I've read before. That was delightful. Judith had never read in Greek before. That was absolutely delightful. That was so fun. Um, so that was, that was great. Um, Wisdom of Solomon is one of those where um, you, it's still relevant to the New Testament that um, if I remember correctly, I think it's, um, I could be wrong. I think it might be the Meritorian candidate actually puts Wisdom of Solomon in the New Testament. And you're like, what? Where does that come? How does wisdom solve any test? Well, when you when you read it through in Greek, uh, it's you can absolutely see that. You know, I think you know, the, the stuff that you get, you know, the, the prophetic material of wisdom of Solomon two, then going to wisdom of Solomon, uh, you know, three and five. Uh, that stuff is amazing, and the stuff you know, as far as giving you a theological framework for understanding um, 
you know, things like, you know, the Canaanite conquest and stuff like that. Uh, it's almost like they have like a, you know, an inspired reading guide to earlier parts of the Old Testament, which is so, so helpful. Um, but wisdom of Psalm is hard Greek. Like I, at least, at least for me, um, that was, that was one of the books where I was just, I was, it was slow, slow moving. Uh, it's, it, it feels like it's written at, written at a pretty, pretty high literary style. Um, Baruch is just kind of an extension of, you know, Jeremiah and is just kind of the same, saying the same thing as, as, you know, as not exactly the same thing, but a lot of the similar themes that you have from Jeremiah, um, which is, you know, Jeremiah itself is actually a pretty easy, easy read in Greek. So um, that was, that's pretty straightforward. Um, if you think, uh, so, I mean, you know, doing, doing Syriac right, right now as part of the wisdom thing. And so, um, which is, you know, I think it's great. Syriac is one of the books I'm, I'm less familiar with. But um, I, every time that I have a look at it, I always get just valuable material. And I think that when you're doing something in an original language like this, because you have to go slower, you tend to be more reflective and you often catch things that you would have missed otherwise. So there's a bit in, um, there's been Syriac 3, uh, where it, uh, it says, you know, basically the greater that one becomes, the more humility that you need. And I just, I, you know, you kind of going through slowly and I'm thinking about them like, gosh, that's a really good point because uh, it's so easy to think of like humility as something like you either, you know, you kind of have it or you, or, or you don't. And not that, no, like the more stature that you're given, the greater that you become, you actually need a larger corresponding amount of humility in order to counterbalance that. Otherwise it's so easy, you know, to, you know, to kind of fall, fall off the, uh, fall off the tracks and I, I was like, that's a really good encouragement as far as like, am I, am I constantly trying to grow, you know, grow in, in, in humility to like kind of, you know, more and more levels. And um, this is, I think I was maybe reading this is at one of the points at which, um, you know, my, my wife was telling me that Kanye was not doing well. And I was sort of thinking about that because <laughs> I don't follow the news and I've died time to. But I was thinking, like, man, if only we could get Kanye, uh, you know, Syriac three, <laughs> so you would, you know, recognize, man, the greater, the greater you become, you might have had sufficient humility previously, but you have to actually get more and more humility um, in order to, uh, you know, in order to, you know, not, not, uh, not kind of fall off the wagon. So, um, anyway, if you talk to, to Kanye, let, let him know. There's, some I, good I will. I, he, I think he's there. on. Uh, I'll be on the podcast next, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'll look at the schedule. Yeah, it's good. That's, <laughs> uh, it sounds good. Yeah, I heard. I heard that he was was Diblingo as well. <laughs> so, look, I, I, it actually reminds me of um, Thomas Akempis as well. What does he say? Um, I would rather feel humility than know how to define it. I think. Yeah. Um, and and it is it's it's one of the things that you know it's it's very, um, especially in the scholarly world, it's easy for us to really work and i mean rightfully so really work at understanding and like precision and like knowledge but it is um much rarer to work at humility <laughs> you know like that's just like yeah. not on everyone's like goal you know list yeah. um to start out the year but but it's true you know that like um you know you see people they they get you know fame or really good at something and then you know, their humility doesn't keep pace and, you know, it yeah. you know, creates all kinds of problems. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, if you look at Solomon, it's like, I mean, great yeah. guy started off excellent and grew in stature and didn't seem to grow. And like, 
you know, corresponding humility to be able to bear that. And then um, the consequences for everybody are really sad. So yeah. just a really good encouragement that, that, you know, that I had, which I, you know, you know, I hadn't seen before. So do you have any other ways that like reading through has changed the way you read the new Testament or, or the, or the Hebrew Bible? I don't know how your Hebrew is, but you know, looking at it as both as a translation, right. From the Hebrew. And then also as like something that the new Testament writers were interacting with. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's actually great about reading the Septuagint is, um, when you're reading the New Testament authors, um, and then you're re- when you're reading the early church fathers as well, uh, which is the you know, other area that I you know, focus on a lot, um, it's interesting because they're so steeped in scripture that when they're quoting scripture, um, it's it's often in such a way that you don't even know if they know what they're doing it's like it's kind of scripture is the is like it's like the air that they breathe and so because of that um they're you know they're they're just naturally citing and alluding to and drawing at, you know language from uh you know all kinds of all kinds of places um you know all over the scriptures and um i think that that kind of familiarity um you know when you see for example you know um one of the classes that you know I teach uh, is on uh, is, you know, is on Paul's writings, and uh, and uh, is uh, one of the books he assigned is um, Richard Hayes's uh, Echoes of Scripture in the Letters of Paul, which is a great, just delightful book. And seeing how familiar he is with the Old Testament text, so that when he's you know, citing anything, um, looking at the context of what he's doing, you can see there is like. I mean, he's just, he's like, he's just a virtuoso in what he does because of how familiar and how steeped in these, in these texts. And in, in some ways, I think that the kinds of things that he's doing, you, when you get to a certain kind of familiarity, it's almost like a precognitive familiarity. If you think of, um, yeah, for instance, like, you know, I, uh, you drive in a car, I could drive, I drive a stick and you have, when you learn how to drive, there's a, there's a cognitive period where you're, what you're doing, you're thinking about something. What gear am I in right now? Should I be in a different gear? I guess I'm going to do this gear. How do I get to the other gear? And you're thinking about that and you're thinking about that and that's all there. And then you you do it enough and then you start doing all those things in a kind of precognitive way where it's you're not even thinking about it. You're just sort of doing it naturally as naturally as you're, as you're breathing. And um, I think that kind of familiarity um, that you see, you know, from, you know, from the apostles and from, you know, the, you know, the early, early church fathers, that's, that's kind of the goal to, to try to get to something, you know, that is a fraction of as cool as what, what, what they have, because then you can see and you can appreciate the kinds of things that they're doing with their language and how it is that they see, you know, the entirety of God's you know, rev- revelations as, as fitting together. And so, um, that's one of the things for me in reading through the text. There's so many places, you know, just reading through the Septuagint, you know, once, once like this, um, I mean, literally every, every page I have underlined someplace where it's like, Oh, that's the same language as the new Testament uses here. Or that's the same, you know, the same language that gets, gets, you know, used, used over here. Um, and honestly, it's part of why I have to do this again next year is because I have so many examples of them that like, 
I, there's no way I can possibly remember all of them and just going through and do it, doing it once. Um, but just so it's so enjoyable seeing, seeing that and seeing, um, you know, not just at a level of, you know, narrative or theology, but a narrative of, um, you know, the, just the exact language, exact words them, them, themselves. Um, they are, you know, they're, like they, they make use of the same same phrases, et cetera. Um, and, there's, and there's places in, in New Testament interpretation that, you know, I think that this actually can, you know, can really help us. There's, um, you know, it's the, the page I have open here uh, is, is Hosea 2. And um, I, um, I I noticed in, in reading, reading Daniel, so Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and here in Hosea 2, um, you have uh, so eschaton ton hemeron or eschaton hemeron, so the last the last days, and it's interesting because you see that language in the New Testament, and a lot of the times when that language is used, the debate from a scholarly standpoint has to do with like you know the second coming of Christ in the sense of like you know the end of the world, like is this like does the Left Behind movie start right now? Does it not start right now? It's interesting, uh, you know New. Testament debates around that, you know, you know, kind of stuff like, you know, the, the, last, the last days. Um, it tends to, you know, the, the lens you're seeing that through, uh, it is almost like left behind. It's like, is, you know, are these the actual last days is in, in the sense that, you know, is the earth going to end? Will the space-time continuum be brought, you know, to a standstill? You know, how, how is all that going to work? And, um, which is interesting because you just kind of like, I don't really... For some reason, that doesn't seem to fit in a narrative standpoint exactly with what's either going on in the immediate context or more broadly with the, the Old Testament context. But it's like, well, what would they mean if they're talking about the last days instead? And this is one of those when you're reading through, you know, the, the Old Testament, it you know jumps off the page. So, so you know, Daniel two, Daniel seven. Well, it's you know what what was it talking about? Um, the dream that Daniel has is that well, what's going to happen in the last days? Well, what's going to happen in the last days? Well, the kingdom of God is going to come in the last days. And the kingdom of God that's coming in the last days is going to establish a kingdom that's going to be forever. And so if you think of the stone cut without hands, it goes in Daniel 2 and crushes, uh, you know, crushes the, the statue, turns into a mountain, and then everybody goes and flocks to it. Uh, that being the last days doesn't mean, hey, this is the end of the world. This means this is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. This is when everything that God said was going to happen is now going to happen. And here, here on earth. Uh, so too in Daniel 7, you get the same same phrase used with the son of man, that you know, the four beasts, son of man comes down, all the cool stuff happens. And that's what happens in the last days. Uh, so too, Hosea too uses the exact same phrase. Uh, it's in the exact same kind of context where it's like you have this cosmic restoration, this new covenant that's established in the last days. Um, then we turn to the New Testament, you hear last days, it helps you to think, wait a second, this means it's Daniel two time. It's Daniel seven time. It's, you know, it's, it's Hosea two time. And if somebody wants to come along and saying the last days, it must mean like, you know, the United Nations is, is taking over <laughs> the end of the world is near. I can then say, you know, Kevin, I don't know if that's exactly <laughs> what, how that language, you know, really, really works in context. Uh, so there's different things like that that I think are really, really helpful um, you know, from a standpoint of New Testament interpretation, where you can see if your reading of these texts isn't conditioned by the Old Testament and by the language that you see, you know, here, here in the Septuagint, how it's easy to get it wrong and then go into all kinds of other, you know, interesting, but not ultimately, you know, constructive directions. 
So just to play devil's advocate here, why yeah. why would you need to read it in Greek to get that? Yeah. So like it because so, you know presumably there the English is going to match up right last days last days yeah. even if the English yeah. is coming from Hebrew like something like that yeah. you know, you're you're probably going to have last days in English in Hosea two and then you're going to have the same yeah. thing in the New Testament you know so why read the Greek for it. I mean, obviously, I'm an advocate for reading the Greek, but yeah. no, it's, it's a really, it's a really good question. So the, the way that I would answer that is I would answer that by saying that the nature of an English translation is that it has a wired, a wider degree of variability in the way that it translates the underlying terms with, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to any, any original language. So, you know, I, um, you know, I'm writing a justification uh, article uh, right, right now, which has been taking me. Um, it seems like my whole life, uh, and it's it's interesting because you know you have you have you know the root you know you know dikaios dikaio everything like that, and so um, great we'll just translate that into English and you just kind of keep the same word the same root, um, and that should be simple. But it ends up not being simple if you uh, if you look in English, you know in, in Romans three it's like boy three twenty one to twenty eight something like that. Um, you see words with the dikaios root. Um, 10 times and your average translation is so if you take like the NRSV, uh, five times it will translate that using justice terms. So just, you know, justification. Uh, and then five times it'll use the righteous root. So right, righteous, you know, rectify. Um, and it alternates between, it just balances back and forth. It just doesn't have a kind of consistency to it. And so because of that, Paul uses the same root 10 times. We get five roots over here. And, you know, from this one English set and five roots over here in this other English set. Um, and that's, that's maybe, you know, kind of an extreme example, but it's not in any way surprising if you see the way that, you know, uh, translations work. Um, and I think particularly when you're thinking, you know, how most modern translations work, they work with, you know, translation committees. And so you have a committee of people who are all doing this. So, you know, Kevin gets... Daniel, here go and translate translate Daniel, and whoever is translating, you know, Mark is going to be somebody else who is going to do that. And so the particular way that they use that language um, is such that uh, they might use use the same English terms to express those things, and they might not. And the broader variability between English translations is such that you know any any of us, you know, I, I don't know if this was like hundred years ago. If you you know you could probably allude to the King James version and um and most of us have an idea, but there's so there's there's so many different English translations. There's so many different ways of saying any given thing when you're translating into English that um even you know when we go and say like uh you know a common uh you know a, a common verse that everybody everybody knows um probably not everybody has that verse memorized in the same in the same words. And so if you think uh, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, you know, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will lead your path straight. Or is it make your path straight or he will direct your paths or which one is it? And they're actually, you can make it, you know, justify all kinds of translations there. Uh, and so everybody has it memorized in kind of a different way. Um, what's great about the Septuagint is you just have a lot less variability. You just have the original, you know, language and standpoint from the standpoint of the New Testament. And then you have this, translation that's made that has you know a really kind of stable consistent quality to it uh, which is itself what the new testament authors are drawing upon directly so um it's not to say that you can't see those kinds of connections um because i think that 
I think that you, you can often, um, which is why, you know, there's value to reading the Bible in, 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 in translation. Um, what it is to say is that often when it's brought through those intermediaries, um, you don't see those connections as clearly. Whereas here, escatum to you're like, wait a second, I know that, I know that phrase. I know exactly where that, where that comes from. And so that's why, you know, having some familiarity, I think, with New Testament Greek and then going back into the Septuagint is, um, is, su- is such a delight and just so, so much fun. I also just wonder how, um, how much is it that we don't read the Old Testament enough, <laughs> you know, just like yeah. straight up, you know, just like yeah. the phrase, the last days is not like making us think, oh, you're talking about Hosea too, you know, like we're just because we don't yeah. encounter it there first. Um, yeah. You know, it's just like, and so when, when you go back and read it in Greek and you're going more slowly, then it's like, oh, that's funny, right? You know, because you, then you, you, you've already, um, you know the phrase from the New Testament, and then you say you see it in Greek in the Old Testament. You say, oh, this is probably referring to this. I just hadn't noticed it before, and I, I think that is yeah. actually a really valuable part of reading in the original. Not that it is even different necessarily than what you might see in English, but you see it differently. Right. Yeah. Um, because yeah. you yeah. you are paying not not even more attention, but but you are. Um, yeah, for, for whatever reason, you're just seeing things that you don't see in English. I, I, I don't I, it's honestly hard to explain when people um, people ask, you know, like, what's the value of reading Greek and Hebrew? I'm like, I don't I, I don't I, it's re- actually hard because it's like everything is different like it's just it's 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 all i mean yes it's your translations are good and like you can rely on them and whatever um yeah but there's just no substitute for reading it in the original language and you just see things you just see the whole the whole world um of the text differently so yeah it's like i mean you can use an analogy to say it's like it's looking at the same thing from a different vantage point yeah it's like you know if you're if you're reading english translation can you see the reality it's there absolutely um and I think that you know God can use stuff within our English translations to help us see you know the realities that are there that are you know fantastic. And so that's all that's all great. What's what's amazing with the original languages is how you can in a sense ascend a bit to have an an even better vantage point. And there's things um, within the vantage point that's maybe you know a, you know a bit a bit higher up um, that um, you either might not. There's no way that you could see them you know, without the original language, we're like, that is an awesome thing that's there. I just had no idea from where I was at uh, previously or things that were perhaps obscure from the original vantage point, which you then go into the original language and you're like, Oh, I can, I can see this here. This, I can see what, you know, what was unclear previously uh, from this vantage point. I know I can see, see what's happening. So. So, so I have two more questions. Um, one yeah. is I, I, I really can't uh, help myself but ask what the premise of your justification or paper on <laughs> however you want to translate that term is. Yeah. Um, I, I actually did my my dissertation on the, you know, Zedek roots in Hebrew, um, yeah. you know, which is the equivalent Hebrew root. Um, so do you have a two minute elevator pitch that you're willing to share with us? on? Yeah. The- so, so um, the uh, the article is for the St. Andrews Encyclopedia of Theology, and 
um, which is a, a great resource that is, um, it's basically the, uh, the equivalent in theology to what the uh, Stanford Encyclopedia uh, Philosophy does in philosophy. So the idea is to have an open source encyclopedia that's available online that has, you know, peer reviewed articles um, that, you know, you can have a starting point when it comes to any, you know, idea within, within Christian theology. And so that, um, which is actually citable itself. And so uh, you don't have to be getting stuff off of Wikipedia, which isn't like an anti-Wikipedia thing, but it's just like to have something that is actually, you know, you know, kind of, you know, peer, peer reviewed um, that is, you know, available as an, as an academic source that can be a first kind of starting point for people when it comes to these things. Um, so that's, um, that's what the article is. Um, I got, uh, I got roped into it by Mike Bird, um, who, uh, I really appreciate. And, uh, Mike originally asked if I could co-write it with him. He did biblical stuff. I did the history interpretation stuff. And then he had too many things to do. And so he asked if I would just go and take the whole thing. So, uh, it's basically, I've been working on it as, you know, on the, on the side for this, this entire calendar year as I've been, as I've been doing this. And, um, it's, it's pretty much done at this point. I just have a couple of things left and then I'm going to cut, cut down some words. So, um, hopefully, um, hopefully early in the new, the new year, it'll be, it'll be up on the, on the site site there once it makes it, you know, through the, through, you know, kind of review and edits and everything. Um, but it is, you know, an introduction, you know, biblically to the idea of justification, looking at, you know, kind of interpretive questions and stuff. Um, and then taking through the history of interpretation of justification through all these different kind of, you know, confessional lenses. Nice. Nice. Any, uh, any insights from the Septuagint on the question? Uh, so, so insights from the Septuagint when it comes to, uh, to the justification question. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, one of the things that is, uh, is interesting is, um, the, um, the range of usage for that verb, you know, dikaio, um, in different ways that it can, that it can be used. Um, it's, uh, it just has a wide range of flexibility within, you know, if you read the Septuagint and the different, different, if you think of, you know, something in relation to the con- concept of righteousness, um, as far as, you know, to, you know, to be considering as righteous, to do what is right for someone to set right. Um, and then, you know, along with that, to actually make right or to make, make righteous, you're going to see all kinds of instances, you know, all, all over the place where it seems like uh, in one instance or another, uh, you know, any of those seem like they're the primary idea that's, that's in view. Um, and so it gives you, I, I guess, you know, a really rich base to, uh, to, to draw from when you're looking at uh, New Testament interpretation, just because it's not necessarily, um, you know, a really circumscribed term when it comes to, um, y- you know, the way that this this is used in the Old Testament, uh, which then I think makes it so that um, when it comes to New Testament interpretation, um, you have maybe a bit broader sense of the ways that these can these things can be used and the kinds of things they can can mean and then have as implications, rather than you know it just must be this one thing or just this one thing over here in a more kind of black and white sense. And so, which is um, what people normally say, <laughs> you know, in the in the, <laughs> in the I mean, in the you know you just is it forensic is it not you know it's like like that is a i mean the, right. the question really is you know what is it here and why right you know right. not not like does i mean we know i mean we should know that the term can be used in all these different kinds of ways right yeah. so then you have to argue for your case in 
this passage, right? And yeah, and why? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's totally right. And it's just interesting the way that that language gets used. There's a number of places. I mean, I end up coming to Romans four a lot, um, and where it got, you know, it talks about justifying the ungodly. You know, the God who justifies the ungodly, because he just literally. Uh, in a number of places, it seems like in the Old Testament, that is the opposite of what is supposed to happen. Like, God is not going to justify the un- ungodly. You should yeah. not justify the un- ungodly. You have uh, you know, the, same, the same kind of language that's used. And so um, I guess I would say um, this would be a point at which, um, you know, St. Saint, uh, Saint Augustine's understanding of justification in Romans 4 as not just like a kind of let, let him off the hook forensically, but no, this is how Abraham was actually made into a godly person. Um, that sense of justify um, definitely is mixed, is, is easier to reconcile with the, the Old Testament sort of precedents that, that, that you see. Um, because if it, if it is otherwise, at least in that instance, if it is a, you know, just like in a, in a, in a kind of acquittal, um, boy, if there's not a lot of texts that say, that's a bad thing. Don't do that. God's not going to do it. Therefore, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do it either. Um, so anyway, that's one one small uh, one one small note. Um, and if you uh, put me here at the microphone, I would literally talk for twenty four hours about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I would uh, I would participate, but but my my wife would not um, <laughs> would not let me because she would probably bark, break through the door eventually. Yeah, um, that's true. Probably your kids. Too. And my, my kids actually would definitely, my problem. two-year-old for sure <laughs> would not make yeah. it that long. Um, yeah. So, so just a couple, well, just one last question. So um, yeah. What, what, what else, you know, again, someone says to you, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, interested in this thing. Convince me one more time in 30 seconds, read the Septuagint in a year. And <laughs> if they are um, convinced you know, are you taking, you know, offers on, um, you know, joining the Facebook group or, or like, how would they go about doing it? You know, oh, I mean, gosh. obviously you're, you're, um, inaccessible now, uh, because you have <laughs> crawled in your hole and are just reading this institution by yourself. Um, so, so are, yeah. are they, are they required to do the same or, or what, a, what do they do? That's a, that's a great question. So, um, so Kevin's going to set up a Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I actually, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty committed. So I, I printed out my sheet. I, I, I started yeah. a couple of days in and then I, then I had a, my wife had a baby. So I, I had right. to stop. Congratulations. <laughs> thank it's you. Thank news. you. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would definitely be, you know, in on the train. Um, so yeah. you can also answer it for me. I will not yeah, be setting absolutely. up a Facebook group. I, I'm, yeah. I try really hard not to be on Facebook very much, but people, say things to me sometimes and I feel bad. So I I'm on there, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I can't, I can't say with any kind of confidence that um, I'm going to be spending tons of time, uh, you know, on Facebook ne- next year either. Um, but there is a group if any, and if anybody you know, wants to start a new one and kind of organize stuff, that's awesome. You know, for a while, you know, me, me and Jim and other people were sharing stuff from the, uh, from the tax, that we were reading, you know, we happened to be on there, which was actually really fun. And it was a great way to record kinds of things. And um, I, I honestly, I really enjoyed it for a while. I mean, you know, I was trying to talk to Jim into saying, Hey, you know, maybe we could do like a short kind of podcast, you know, each month or something like that, just to kind of go over some of the stuff that we've got. And then just the time that's required from doing this was such that it just ended up not being, being, being possible. 
Um, but you know, the thing is there, if anybody wants to go, go and read it. And so that's what I'm going to be following. If anybody wants to, you know, organize stuff more, they can. I, um, I can give you, a, you know, a few, a few things and I'll just like, you know, highlights of things that I've, you know, I've come, come across that I, uh, you just read and you're like, this is awesome. What, what cool connections. Um, you know, the, the one that first got me into this, or I was like, this is so interesting was through reading, um, Joshua and Septuagint. And uh, you have in, uh, in Joshua 7 with Achan, it uses in the beginning this, uh, this verb nefids or nefids of mine. Uh, and I'm thinking, what the heck is that? And I looked up and it says like purloin. And I'm like, great purloin. I don't know what that means either. I know that there's a, there's a Pokemon called purloin. I don't know, like besides, besides that, it, like, it turns out it's like a fancy word for like to steal. I'm like, that's cool. Um, but it turns out, I was kind of looking it up, and it's like, oh, this is the same thing it's used, used in Acts 5. And it gets used like once there and then like once over here. I'm like, Acts 5, what's going on Acts 5? And you think, wait a second. There's a really interesting connection here. And you can see what Luke is doing. So Acts 5, Ananias, and Sapphira. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happening in the context? Well, you've got basically, you know, in Acts 5, you are now entering the promised land in the sense that the Holy Spirit has come down. Everything that has been promised in the past is now being brought to fulfillment and in this time of the you know, promise being fulfilled. Um, you have people within the community who are acting in a way that is out of accordance with what, you know, what God has commanded and who are going against what, you know, you know, their own, their own conscience in a sense. And so, and I sense fire, what they do with the money, it says that they feed so it, um, they, 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 they purloin it. They use this one really, really, rare word to see it and as a result they forfeit their lives and the reason they forfeit their lives is not because you automatically you know you know you know purloining you know carries a a death sentence what it tells you i think is something about the way that god is acting um in a unique way in this moment and so it's like if you think of um kind of you know uh, uh, this is more spatially but if you think of like the holy of holies and, you know, in the ark, it's like if the closer you get to holiness, the bigger the consequences are. So you touch the ark and you're in an impure state. It's like, you know, you're, you're up in smoke, you're gone. So too, when, you know, when, when God is acting in a way that is, uh, you know, kind of climactically fulfilling the things that he's, he's promised, um, whether you're, you know, you're Aiken at, you know, originally entering the, you know, the promised land or in a physical sense and, you know, and, you know, purloining from Jericho, or whether you're Ananias and Sapphira and, you know, the new covenant, and, you know, and, you know, purloining in that sense, either way, you can see that you end up having a similar result, which is itself a, if you think in terms of Acts 5, uh, is, is a kind of interesting confirmation that the same spirit that worked in Joshua in this, in this period um, is the same spirit that's at, that's at, at, at work now in, in Acts 5 doing a similar kind of thing. So that connection for me was one of the first that got me into it. There's, there's other connections that you'll see, um, you know, uh, book of Isaiah, for example, um, I, um, I can't remember if it's, if it's, um, if it's Jerome or Augustine who refers to, refers to, uh, it as a fifth gospel says like this, you know, book of Isaiah, it's numbered among the prophets, but if you see how clearly, clearly it's it's talking about, uh, you know, the the events of, you know, Christ and his advent, you don't know whether there's a place in among the gospels or among the prophets. Um, and I've always had a pretty good appreciation for Isaiah, but you read Isaiah in the Septuagint and you will know exactly what they're talking about. You will, I mean, you read it and you're like, 
ah, uh, this might be misplaced. Um, <laughs> this, it might, it might be better to go just, just put it, just put it in the new cast, put it after, after John or, you know, or Mark or something. Cause it doesn't, it's, uh, it, it really does. Like you just reading page after page, like, I can't believe this is here. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's, it's just un, unbelievable. And, um, I think particularly, you know, 40 onwards, um, the, uh, you know, which is of course, what, you know, what Christ, you know, ministries, you know, starts with, uh, you know, with John, John the Baptist make, you know, making what, uh, you know, making straight the way, way of the Lord, um, that, that material, uh, when you're reading through it in Greek, um, I think, uh, it, it jumps out to you in a way that it's, um, you know, for me, it, it, is, it is a level I never, never experienced with it. And then it's also, you can just see the New Testament authors are just drawing on that language everywhere, all over the place. And so, um, there's so many places where you see, oh, that's what Paul is doing here. That's what, you know, Peter is doing here. That's what John is doing this in this, this one passage. And so, um, it, I mean, it's amazing on its own. And then, um, you know, the way that it enriches your, uh, um, you know, you're, you know, you're reading the New Testament. Um, and then, you know, honestly, there's, there's, there's too much to hear. I could even say, just say from the very beginning, I remember the first, the first day doing this, because I can't, you can't give like a 365 day thing. But if you're saying like the first day, uh, if you've got, you know, Genesis one and two, there's, there's little things that you notice in the text that jump out to you and think that's, that's really interesting. So if you just take, take day one, um, you know, uh, when God creates, for example, you know, you know, God created and he saw that it was good. And we're used to saying, you know, good and good is, you know, kind of, you know, functional or you know, maybe ethical terms. And so I expected it to be, you know, agathos or, you know, agathon. And that's not what it's here. It's, it's kalos or here, you know, kalon. Like he saw that it was kalos. And um, kalos usually gets used in, in the kind of aesthetic sense. So like, you know, beautiful and we'll often translate kalos as, as beautiful. And there's definitely, you know, it's not like, a hard and fast kind of thing. There's definitely overlap between the terms, but that's often what we'll do is we'll translate callous as beautiful. And so you think, and God saw that it was beautiful. I think, mean, oh, that's actually really interesting the way that, you know, you think of God as an artist when he's, when he's creating, it's not simply, you know, that this is, you know, has utility, but that there's something that's beautiful about this. And that's, you just creating, you know, creating beauty. Hmm. Um, if you think um, things that, you, again, you catch in the original language is easy to miss in translation. Um, the way that, um, you know, in, uh, so, so later on in Genesis one, the, the parallelism with the verb, so arco, um, so we, you know, we, there's arco, arco in the New, New Testament. So to, to rule and, um, you, you hear it's really easy in the original, you know, I guess it's a translation, but you know what I mean? Uh, the original translation language. Uh, the, the, the parallelism between the way that the sun and the moon are, are set in the sky. So there's to rule over the world. Um, and that's, and you get the, the, the language of so Arco that's paralleled by the way that we are set in creation to similarly rule over, uh, you know, all, all of the creatures that are around. So the relationship between sun and moon, and then, you know, all the, you know, kind of created order the world around here we're to kind of have that um you know uh, i guess you could say that that role in relation to you know all of the living things that we see here just a really cool you know cool parallel and you see and then um maybe one one more uh 
interesting. This is something that uh, Augustine point, points out. Um, and again, you, you read through the text, you can see where it's coming from. What's the first building in the Bible? Uh, what's the first building? I'll ask you, Kevin, what's this question? What's the, what's the first building in the Bible? Oh, man. Um, well. Hard question. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just like working backwards. Uh, I mean, I feel like Babel is too late, but it is. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give, I'll give like this. It's a tricky one. Um, Eve is the first building. Eve is the first building. So the first, the first place where you get like the uh, it's in relation to Eve. And so before that you've had, you know, all these things are created, 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 God creates this. And then Eve is interestingly built. And um, Augustine talks about this in relation to uh, Ephesians 5 and how it is that Paul in uh, Ephesians 5 refers to the church as built up. And he says, that's the same thing that Adam and Eve, when, when God takes Eve out of Adam, he takes from Adam and then from his flesh goes and builds Eve. He says, it's the same way with Christ and the church. We're taken from his flesh. We're taken, it's his body. It's his blood, which goes and gives us life. And so we are taken, you know, if you think of, you know, the, the, you know, the lance in his side, we're taken literally from his side, from his rib, the same way that Eve was taken from his rib. And we too, again, using the verb that Paul uses, we are then built up into his, you know, into the, into body, into, into the church, which is, you know, the, the counterpart, uh, you know, to Eve. Really, really fun and interesting stuff. And you can see, you know, Augustine saying something like that. It's, it's not just a um, kind of flight of fancy allegorizing, anything like that. It's actually really close attention to the specifics of the text within, you know, these, these, these original languages that helps him to see these kinds of connections, which, I mean, if his instinct is right, is actually the same things that, you know, parallels that Paul is pointing out as well. So um, those are a couple of things on like the first days. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it reminds me of like rabbinic literature as well, you know, how they yeah. would read texts. And obviously, you know, it's the whole, the whole world, <laughs> you know, these guys are all in, in very similar worlds. Um, the same world actually, <laughs> but, but yeah. the, it, you know, it is, it is this sort of like, midrashic allegorizing like really close reading kind of thing where it's like it's it's it sometimes it does you know feel like oh can you do that <laughs> you know i don't know <laughs> you yeah. know but, yeah. but 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 it is it it's always very careful attention you know to to what's being said you know yes yeah. um and and the fact that paul was in that world you know means that like that's how we should read it, you know? So, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's would be make a whole lot of sense, right? If he was picking up on something like that, because that's, that's just what people did. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great because you actually, even if one is uh, uncomfortable as far as, Hey, can I do that? As far as can I, can I do what it seems like, you know, Paul is, Paul is doing there. Um, what you can absolutely agree on is what Paul is doing is important. It's yeah. important for us. And it's, you know, in a sense, definitive for us. And so, something like this it's really great for getting a sense of what it is that paul is doing yeah. uh, and, to, and to be able to to you know appreciate all of the you know the intricacy and, and, and nuance and wow that's yeah that's fun i i i really should have um i really should have answered that question better because i 
I actually did read <laughs> Genesis two in, <laughs> in the, just the other day in in Greek. Yeah, um, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I I don't know if I really caught that or not. I mean, I uh, yeah, I, I I think I I think it is Vaiv and you know he he, he built in in Hebrew yeah. as well. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the weird one of the weird ways Saint Augustine often um uh you know uh, uh what's the best word to use um often criticized for not being uh sufficiently good at, at languages but actually there's some close attention that he has he, he can be really underrated in this area so yeah all those guys I mean you know a lot of them I, I feel like yeah it is by even I don't know um yeah, I I feel like they're pretty underrated in terms of. I mean, they they, they yeah. do their their text so well. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. I I I um like I said, I have my my sheet printed out, and um I I will be off Facebook as much as possible, um, <laughs> and on the uh, on the Septuagint train. So I might even go ahead and get started in case I <laughs> in case I lag behind we have another baby or something actually that's, that's not gonna happen but anyway um yeah this was a lot of fun thank you a lot for sharing your experience and maybe maybe we can just plan on doing this again next year um yeah. having a another recap for all the people um yeah you know that that joined this yeah. uh this student train yeah no, i love that that's a that's a great idea we should absolutely do that it'd be fun Thank you for listening to the Biblical Languages podcast brought to you by Biblingo. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. You can also follow Biblingo on social media to discuss the episode with us and other listeners. And don't forget to visit biblingo.org to start your 10-day free trial of Biblingo.